Take that Bible out. Romans chapter 3. To last week, a dark background and a beautiful gem. Imagine yourself going into that jewelry store, buying that engagement ring for the one you love, and you look in that case, and you see that black velvet, you know, or that dark purple velvet with the, the stone setting on top of it, and the dark background makes the beautiful gem shine all the brighter, and that's what Paul does here in Romans chapter 3. He lays out the reality of our sinfulness, our depravity, our corruption, our absolute need for a Savior. And then he lays out who that Savior is, how he's gone about rescuing us, and all that's needed on our part uh, to receive such a treasure. And so in chapter 3, verse 10, we began last week what's called a string of pearls or a katina which is a chain from a necklace. And it's this string of pearls where Paul quotes from Psalms, from Isaiah, from Ecclesiastes, from Job, from Proverbs, all to lay out the sinfulness of our sin. And so we're going to just do a little of what we saw last week as we get into fresh ground. Going to verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And so the beginning of this chain of pearls, he shows us our legal standing before God. You know, have you ever watched uh, one of those legal shows, The Law and Orders, you know, or maybe you've been involved in a case or two yourself where your lawyer says, yeah, you've got no case. You know, you've got no case or you've got no defense, and uh, that is our case here uh, in, with our sinfulness. We are absolutely guilty. Every single one of us is, is guilty. There's none inherently righteous, inherently innocent, inherently pure. And, and just when you think you're going to start speaking up and say, oh, but I, uh, you know, there's this, no, not one. <laughs> Oh, but you never met my, oh, no, not one. Uh, I did a memorial service on Friday and such a, I never really knew her. I got to meet her once, but uh, she was sleeping when I went to pray for her right before her death. And just all of her slideshow pictures, she looked so nice and kind and wonderful. And I just had to share at the funeral service that even this beautiful lady was in need of a savior because of sin. And after the funeral, I had a lady come up to me and say, I know you didn't know her, and you're right in what you say, but it's hard to hear because she just was so sweet, you know? And it's like, yeah, even the sweetest one of us, um, you know what, are not inherently sweet. Uh, Even the most innocent and pure, you know, how often do we say, he's a good man, he's a good man. And it's like, well, not really, (laughs) you know? When you get down to the brass tacks, there's none righteous. No, no, not one is what the verse says. That's our legal standing. That's kind of the first category of this katina, this chain of pearls. There's no one righteous, 
And this is a theological understanding before it's sociological and observed in the lived out life. We studied that last week. Listen to last week's sermon. Find it on YouTube or a podcast. I wish I could go through it all again, but we would just never get through it all today. Verse 11, we keep moving on. That there is none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. So no man or woman just in and of themselves naturally is one who just understands God, the plan of God, um, the holiness of God, uh, his desires for man. And then where, uh, you know, where we fall into that and, uh, and then our pursuit of him, it goes to that point of even seeking after him. No one in and of themselves inherently righteously seeks after God. And this shows the second part. So we had our legal standing in verse 10. And then we see in verse 11 that sin affects our minds. It's this second category that sin is relational before it's behavioral. We don't seek after God because of our sinful nature. Tim Keller said, salvation did not even begin with you deciding to seek God, but it was with him choosing to seek you. You know that everything you have and are is by sheer grace. There's an old hymn and I have it on the, on the slide for you. It's called, tis not that I chose thee. It goes like this. Tis not that I chose thee, for Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, hadst thou not chosen me. My heart owns none before thee, for thy rich grace I thirst. This knowing, if I love thee, thou must have loved me first. He loved us first. Sorry, as we're getting our wireless mic dialed in after coming out of the park, but you got the professionals on it. If there's anyone that knows how to do it, it's Ted and David. So um, it's really going to be like what heaven is like. You know, you're going to hear these cool different tones in the, th- I don't know. I haven't been there yet, but, <laughs> and so here are some of the symptoms of our depravity verse 12. We see it. Uh, well, we see it negatively in that. None is righteous, none understands, none seeks after God. That's verses 10 and 11. Those are negative symptoms. Here's a positive symptom, and I don't mean that in a good way. It's, here's what we have done. We've turned aside. We have together become unprofitable. And the Greek word translated unprofitable was used to describe spoiled milk. Have you ever uh, smelled spoiled milk? When I was a kid, uh, out on our ranch, the the housewives of the ranch e- each bought Eagle station wagons. Does anybody remember the Eagle AMC, kind of the Wagoneer, whatever, but, you know, kind of the station wagon, Wagoneer? Awesome. We had them in high school. Hey, is that your jacked up station wagon in the parking lot? Yeah. But one day, my aunt spilled milk on the carpet of her. Eagle station wagon. Yeah, that, that doesn't clean up very nicely, you know, so always had that rancid smell, not good for the resale value. Um, but that's where we are, 
uh, apart from Jesus, we are unprofitable and like spoiled milk. This is a quote from Psalm 14, and, and Ecclesiastes 7.20 tells us that there's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Listen to what George Whitfield had to say. <clears throat> and Ted, how are you doing? Do you want me to use the handheld mic? Would that be better? We're having an issue, like it's almost... You ever seen those pistols that people hold in their socks? That's what this is. Thank you, Ted, by the way. I appreciate that. It's really on me, you guys. I wasn't here for a sound check earlier. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this close to my lip, and then we'll adjust that as it goes. So uh, George Whitfield, we have the quote here in front of you. Our best duties are so many splendid sins. Good for you. You must not only be made sick of your sin, but you must be sick of your of all your duties and performances. There must be a deep conviction before you can be brought out of your self-righteousness. It is the last idol taken out of your heart. So you might be convicted of your sin, but are you convicted of your righteousness? Your self-righteousness? That's a, that's a hard one to pull ourselves away from, isn't it, as red-blooded Americans? Oh, I've got so much going for me. Don't say that. <laughs> you got nothing going for you but your own sin that you bring to the table. And so we see this of unregenerate man as the writer goes on to speak of how much is said about our mouth and our sinfulness. The organs of our speech. Note that he says that the throat is an open tomb. That shows what's inside of us. It shows the inward corruption that leads in an outward manifestation. What comes out of our mouth shows what's, what's inside of our heart. Jesus says it a couple times in the Gospels. In Matthew 15, he says what comes out of a mouth that's what defiles the man, not what goes in. If you're eating, you know, with unwashed hands, that's really not important. What matters is when you speak, we hear what's inside of you. And he goes on to say in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. Matthew 12, 34 says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I remember uh, in high school, Lakeview High School, uh, I was big into the ag program and uh, welding and small engines and livestock and all this stuff. And we were a really close group in that, you know, FFA ag program. Um, but I'll tell you what, there were a lot of depraved people in that group. And uh, there were no holds barred on what people would say and how they would speak in that class and the language and one day I quoted this verse as someone just let out just some filth. And I just said, man, you just showed me what's in your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this was a friend of mine. I like him. I still like him. We're friends on Facebook. And he said, no, it doesn't. That's stupid. <laughs> I'm like, case in point. You know, 
the mouth often shows us who are the unregenerate. Look at verse 13. Their throat is that open tomb. With their tongues they've practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. So we just see that sin affects the tongue. It shows that we're full of corruption and infection down deep. With the tongues, there's deceit that's practiced. And deceit is just that evidence of the unregenerate, deceptive flattery when you say something to get something. And I like this phrase that Paul says, the poison of asps is under their lips. (laughs) It's a hard sentence to say. Uh, And I like how another translation says it. They have asps lips. (laughs) You guys try saying that they have asp lips. <laughs> okay. Uh, an asp is a poisonous snake, like a cobra that has a venom that causes a very quick death. And do you remember in the end of acts, uh, when Paul got bit by the snake, you know, and I told the joke and you know, it's two snakes slithering through the jungle and one snake asks the other snake, Hey, are we poisonous? And the other snake says, I don't know why. And the first snake says, because I think I just bit my lip, you know, (laughs) since that day, it's been one of my favorite jokes. I keep bringing it up to my kids. Ass lips, right? Just when we are unregenerate, not born again, apart from Christ, just anything we say, it's just, oh, it's just poison coming out. It's ugly. It's uh, deceitful, deceptive, flattering. Uh, and we see in verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Does that sound, um, like the world out there cursing and bitterness coming out of the mouth? I think we've all heard it. It's just, it's just evidence. It's just the reality that people need Jesus. Look at verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And so he's gone from, uh, you know, from the mind and the mouth and the throat, the lips, all the way down to the feet, showing us that we are sinful from head to toe, head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes, knees and toes. It's just a whole bunch of sin is what Paul tells us here. And at this point, he shows us even more how sin affects our relationships unregenerate, swift to take people out, no care for human life. We're seeing that right now in the news. You know, the, the guys that stole the car and just ran over a biker, filmed it, laughing at it. And just, uh, he's a retired sheriff, uh, police officer. And just, it's kind of the last two days, what you'll find on, on the news. And just, it just shows what's in me and you. And it's just on YouTube right now. The swiftness to shed blood and not even think twice about it. It shows people who are unregenerate. And so much so, people, if they're slightly provoked, kill other people. People that feel entitled or are covetous, kill other people. And now that I'm 41, I'm starting to hear stories more and more of people that I know who have had friends and family members murdered. You know, when I was a kid, that just seemed like so far off, not really real stuff that happens. But, you know, now it's like, wow, people in this room that I know who've had friends and family members killed. 
And it just shows how near the corruption of our heart is. It's here. It's in Prineville. Just recently in the news, you hear there's a lady from Prineville that like murdered and dismembered somebody. Prineville, Oregon. And it just shows, boy, this is how near, you know, but Jesus tells us the same kernel of sin that was, or the same sin that was in her that did that. I have the kernel of it in my heart when I hate someone or am angry with my brother and don't bring it before the Lord and repent of, of that. It can turn into that. It can fester and become that type of bitterness and murder. And we go on verse 16 and 17. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And so we see here sin affects our relationship with God. Everyone is a sinner. None is good. No, not one. Everyone falls into this category where there's no fear of God before their eyes. And this idea that everyone is a sinner goes against every other religion and every other way of life in the world. The Bible says that everyone is a bad guy. Even the moral religious guy trying to keep all the rules Chapter two and three of Romans says, even that guy is a bad guy. He's sinning his brains out only in a different way. We're all guilty. And especially because of this root of sin where we do not fear God. One man said, not only are we not good in our unregenerate state, we actually go out of our way to be wicked. Look at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And so kind of keeping in the context of addressing Jewish questions about, you know, we're not righteous because we keep the law. What good is it to be a Jew then? And so this is at the beginning of our chapter. So Paul is kind of reverting back to that and speaking to it where he tells the Jews what the law does. And we're able to use that as well because the law is also our teacher that shows us that we are sinners. uh, And it's also a benefit to us as well. And we might not so much take the law of Moses and all of its ceremonies, but we as Gentiles or non-Jewish people could even use our own laws that we've created for ourselves to show us it's not by keeping our own rules that we're righteous before God. But the law of Moses, what it does is it shows both the Jew and the Gentile that they're guilty before God and the mouths of their defense are stopped. I have a quote for you on the screen by Professor Cranfield who says that These words evoke the picture of a defendant in court who, given the opportunity to speak in his own defense, is speechless because of the weight of the evidence which has been brought against him. There's nothing to wait for but the pronouncement and the carrying out of the sentence. Just the evidence is just so clear. You are guilty that I just do what you got to do, judge. 
That's essentially what, when the law is laid out before us and we see how we've broken it, we got to be honest before God and say, go ahead and do your thing, judge. I know that my mouth ends up being stopped here. This verb translated to silence or every mouth must be stopped has the literal meaning to shut or to close the mouth. And essentially it means that, you know, as we would stand before God in our own righteousness and say, oh, but Lord, um, I was a boy scout. I was an American. My grandpa helped start the Presbyterian mission, you know, in Nebraska, uh, you know, and just blah, 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 blah. You know, I graduated kuma, summa cum laude. I don't even know what those things are, clearly. <laughs> kuma, uma, nuka, upu, apu, apu. You know, it's like a Hawaiian fish, I think. You know, uh, <laughs> it's Greek to me. Um, and you don't, we all do like, oh, these are all, I am so incredible. Like the Lord just, he's got, he got a prize getting me, you know? And have you ever seen those hilarious shows where someone's talking, talking, and then the other person goes, shh, like pushes their finger into the, shh. And if you were to stand before the Lord and, oh Lord, let me just start at the beginning of why I'm so incredible. Blah, 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 blah. And the Lord's like, you know, it's like, Hey, shut your mouth. You're guilty and you're being found a liar before me. One, uh, it was uh cruise that said to stop one's mouth by placing a hand over it signified that one had no more to say in one's defense. If a person who was judged to be clearly guilty, continued speaking, the court might order their mouths to be stopped. So apparently, you know, kind of historically, kind of in a defense, in a legal setting, finally the person is like, I get it, I get it, I'm, I got nothing left. Sit down, you know. But if they were going to still try to keep blah, 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 then like overcomes the, you know, the sheriff deputy that serves in the court, you know, and he's just like, Sit down. Okay. And that's essentially what happens when we try to give our defense before God. We see we would never measure up on our best day. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, it was Stott that says this means not only do you need to repent, we need to repent of all our sin, but we need to repent of all the reasons we've done anything. Douglas Moo says, the knowledge of sin does not simply mean that the law defines sin. Rather, what is meant is that the law gives people the understanding of sin as a power that holds everyone in bondage and brings guilt and condemnation. The law gives people the demand of God. In our constant failure to attain the goal of that demand, we recognize ourselves to be sinners and justly condemned. All right, for the sake of time, we're going to hit verse 20. You guys are so lucky that your first service and that I'm on a time crunch. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the deeds of the law is the knowledge of sin. And so, you know, for the Jew... No keeping of the law would justify them before the Lord because they never could keep the law. 
on their best day. And the Lord knew that James tells us in the new Testament that even if we were to keep the whole law, but stumble in one point, just one point, then we're guilty of breaking the whole entire thing. And so that's the case for every Jew that's ever lived and the case for every Gentile. And now for us, though, we may put other things in in the law's place that we kind of stand in for our righteousness. And, uh, And Paul would just say, yeah, by your good works, nobody will be justified. Nobody will be justified. And you might underline that word justified. It means to be declared righteous, to be declared righteous. Uh, it's a legal term that could also modern day. We kind of phrase it just as if I'd never sinned justified, just as if I'd never, ever sinned before. And so we're going to see in just a few verses that how can we have that status just as if I'd never sinned before. We're going to see that that's freely by his grace. And so, so far we've seen the black backdrop and now he's going to lead us to the glorious gem of the gospel. Uh, as we wrap up here today, uh, look at, uh, we're gonna look at verses 21 through 29, the gem of the glorious gospel. And these verses are deep, dense theology. I understand maybe you're kind of new here first time or something, guys, just, this is just deep, deep stuff. I mean, this is stuff that, um, like when you mow your lawn, but you haven't mowed it for a long time and that mower starts getting into the thick stuff. And what is that mower? You know, and you say time to call Bob Hayden and his company. He'll come mow my lawn for me. You got to weed eat it first. You know, this is guys, we start getting into Romans chapter three and it's like, yay, Romans. (laughs) All right. And it's the same trying to teach it because it's just so deep and thick. Okay. Uh, verses 21 through 26 are tightly packed verses. Professor Cranfield rightly called this set of verses, the center and heart of the whole main section of the letter. And we're going to cover it in 10 minutes. Isn't that great? And Dr. Leon Morris suggests that These may possibly be the most important single paragraphs ever written right here in these verses. So let's look at it. Here's the beautiful gem being laid down over the dark backdrop of verses 10 through 20. Here comes the gospel. Here comes the gem. Here comes the good news. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So verse 20 said, we are, no one will be made righteous by the law. No one will be justified by the works of the law. Here we see that the righteousness of God is apart from the law. It's apart from the law. Even verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe for there is no difference. And so we see that, uh, God is righteous. It's called the righteousness of God. He's perfectly righteous. Uh, I have a quote from John Stott for you that says, uh, I think I have this. Yes, here we go. The righteousness of 
or from God is a combination of his righteous character, his saving initiative, and his gift of a righteous standing before him. And I like, I like what Stott did here in his commentary. He did it a couple times. It is his just justification of the unjust, his righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. I know it's just like, right? But uh, it helps us when we start digging deep into theology. God's righteousness is his just justification of the unjust. We should be hearing some hallelujahs out there. Start processing it. He is just in his justification of me who is unjust. Woohoo! Okay? I know you guys would like that. You're like, can you throw a woohoo or something in there? So, okay, please, you got to save me here, Rory. Okay. Try reading like four of these books laying in bed at night. That'll make you sleep. Okay. Or his righteous way of righteousing. Yeah, that's righteousing. See it there at the bottom? His righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. Woohoo! All right? And my, my watch is like, stop with the woohoos. I'm going to snooze you one more time. Okay? So where does this righteousness, how does this come to us? It says here in verse 22, through faith. Through faith. Now, not faith in faith, not faith in rituals, faith in rules, faith in heritage, but faith in Jesus Christ. It's really a translation can be rendered through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We have faith in the faithfulness of the faithful one, is what John Stott would probably write. And who is this to, Rory? Who is this righteousness to if they were to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ? Surely not me. The Lord doesn't even know all the things that I've done. Well, there's good news for you because it's to all and on all. Who? All. Right? It's offered to all because it's needed by all. We all need, none are righteous, none seek after God, but you can have righteousness from God if you put your faith in him because it's to all and upon all. Anyone who would believe, Jew, Gentile, no matter what your nationality is, your pedigree, rich, poor, what's your physique, good news for you, righteousness of God comes through faith to anyone who would believe in Jesus. Verse 23, there's almost like this little short, quick black backdrop. Okay, you know, we're looking at the gem of the gospel. We're going to see the black backdrop again. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And the word sin is an old archery term. You've heard it before, probably. An old archery term that when they, you know, picture Robin Hood and the competitions of shooting the arrows. And whenever they would shoot the arrow, if they were to miss the bullseye, the judge in the competition would throw a flag and say, sin. They missed the competition. Or I'm sorry, they missed the mark in the competition. Missed the bullseye, missed the bullseye, missed the bullseye. And, you know, Jesus comes and he's like Robin Hood, you know, when he shoots that arrow and it goes just perfectly down and it hits another guy's arrow who's in, the, you know, and it just splits it apart. I love that part of Robin Hood. <laughs> splits the other one. Um, 
You know, because Jesus never sinned. He was tempted in every point that we are, but he never sinned, the book of Hebrews tells us. So he missed, he, he made the mark, and no, ju- the judge is like, I don't know, what's the word that we use? <laughs> Everyone misses the mark. What's the word we use when someone makes the mark? Righteous. Okay? And so for us, though, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24. But the good news, the gem, is that we are being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. And so here we have the word justified again. And it's this legal courtroom language declaring from heaven that the judge in heaven sees us just as if we've never sinned. Just as if we've never sinned. Um, you know, the comedian Adam Sandler has this character where he, he's called Cajun Man. And everything he says ends with the word shown, shown, you know. And if he became a Christian and born again, Cajun Man, he would love the words justification, propitiation, redemption, reconciliation. One more. Salvation. (laughs) Don't YouTube it, okay? The saved version is not on YouTube, okay? But this will help you remember it, right? The first word here in our theology of salvation is justification, all right? It means more than not guilty. It means totally innocent. Now, justification doesn't just bring us up to ground zero, where there's no sin, but we are actually given Christ's righteousness in justification. And then we have uh, another word that's used here, that it's freely by his grace. We don't deserve justification. We don't relate to God based on what we deserve. It's freely by his grace. The second shown word is redemption. Redemption. And It's not a legal term. It's a market term from the store, specifically the idea of the slave market. That somebody could go to an auction where slaves are being sold and they could buy somebody off the auction block of slavery and give them their freedom. And the New Testament tells us that we were bought off the auction block of slavery to sin, the cruel taskmaster of sin. We were bought not by perishable things like silver and gold. That's not what bought us off of that. But the New Testament tells us that with the precious blood of Jesus, he purchased us off of that auction block with slavery uh, to sin. Clay, why don't you come on up? I got six seconds on the clock. So anyways, when God, okay, just kidding. Verse 25 says, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins which were previously committed. Um, back in school of ministry, we went through the book of Romans and a couple years after me, a friend of mine, Ryan Smith, he's a worship leader 
You were supposed to write a poem about Romans, or you were supposed to write a song, or draw a picture, be artistic. He wrote a worship song that goes, you justify me just as if I'd never sinned. I'm innocent. Lord, you redeemed me, paid a price I couldn't pay. Now I am saved. How could my works appease you? How could I ever please you? And this is where you're writing a song from the book of Romans chapter 3. Only your propitiation could make atonement for my salvation. Totally off key there. But great song that's just chock full of theology. Only the propitiation of Jesus. Is that a new word to anybody here? I, I don't think ever once in my life. I've used the word propitiation. Go on, be honest. Yeah? Have you even tried? No, I'm just joking. Yeah, it's not like a word in common usage for us, right? Here, if you're wondering what propitiation means, it means to propitiate somebody. There. It's my gift to you on this Sunday. <clears throat> Let's pray. It means to calm somebody's anger. Okay, so the wrath of God has been appeased because of Jesus's death on the cross. It's like Jesus was a lightning rod that took the wrath of God from heaven and channeled it through him at the cross so that we are safe and not affected. That's propitiation. Only your propitiation can make atonement for my salvation. Propitiation, fun fact, could also be translated mercy seat from the old Testament. That was that platform on the Ark of the covenant where the blood of the lamb was sprinkled on the day of atonement that so that the Lord would um, be foreshadowing the forgiveness of sin upon Israel. And so that's, I don't have time. Second service gets that one. You guys don't get to. So, and this propitiation um, comes through faith alone, through believing in Jesus, through resting in him, not by doing your best, the, the uh, justification, redemption, propitiation, salvation doesn't come by. Have you read your Bible every day this week? Cause if you haven't no redemption, it doesn't come by you, uh, you know, going to church every Sunday or having gone on a big mission trip, nothing like that. It comes through faith, through believing in Jesus. And verse 26 tells us, stop. It tells us that this demonstrates at the present time, his righteousness. The gospel is a demonstration. Okay. It's a demonstration of his righteousness so that he could be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. It's as if the Jew said, I don't want to brag, but I finished a jigsaw puzzle in three hours. The box said two to four years. Right? They're all boasting about the law and, and the Lord's like, you're totally missing it, man. Like you didn't even read the box, right? Okay. Where's the boasting? The Jews can't boast and the really morally upright red blooded American can't boast. Okay. We have nothing to boast in 
but we look to the Lord. Verse 28 through 31. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there's one God and he'll justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. God's heart and his intent always with the law was that it would be a tool in the gospel to show us our deep need of a savior and that there's one who's here for us today. Can you guys set your things aside and we'll pray and we'll close the song. Set your things aside and stand with me. And right now where you're at standing in, in these seats here, just close your eyes and let the Lord examine your heart Why don't you do some real heart searching right now and just ask yourself, have I ever put my faith in Jesus Christ so that he would forgive me of my sins, so that he would justify me? Have I ever let him draw me off of the auction block of slavery so that I'm not being ruled by this harsh taskmaster of sin? Have I ever put my trust in his propitiation at the cross where he calmed the wrath of God towards me by letting the wrath go to him instead? Have I received forgiveness of sins? Have I put my faith in him? And just right now where you're at, if you've never done that, right now just say, Jesus, here and now and today and in this place, I appeal to Jesus and his righteousness. I lay aside my self-righteousness and that may be like George Whitfield said, the one final idol that I got to get rid of is my own righteousness. I lay down all of my merit before you and say they're just filthy rags and I rest in Jesus' merit, Jesus' good works. Save me, Lord. Become my savior. Become my king and my master. I want to live for you. I want to be a Christian. And those of us that are Christians today, Lord, we just rejoice in the beautiful gem of the gospel. May it inform how we live every day. And Clay, maybe just for the sake of time, we'll just do like one verse and one chorus of this song and we'll close down this service a little shorter. Let's sing this out to the Lord. Let's worship him. Amen. What a great lyric clay that you let us in there so sorry it had to be cut short um just what praise goes to the lamb uh whose blood is on the mercy seat of heaven and has um just taken away all of our sins so much to rejoice in you guys hope you'll not just dash out the door uh but that you'll hang out for a little bit come in the fireside room grab a donut um some coffee and just get to know some people we're really glad that you're here have a great sunday god bless you guys